Thank you for that powerful prayer. And it, it really sets us up for what we're going to be talking about this morning. But I want to start with just letting you know I'm really not that nice. And I'll explain that to you. And you'll see when I was younger, I'm one of five brothers. And uh, we almost killed each other growing up. And uh, if you don't believe me, ask my mom. Um, she would say, yes, we almost killed each other. And one time, my dad loved boxing. He just, he loved boxing. We watched boxing all the time. And um, when we had a disagreement, he'd say, all right, put the gloves on, get in the back. So we put the gloves on, and I put the gloves on. My brother put the gloves on. We went in the backyard. Oh, we're, you know, doing this, whatever. And I went to my brother. I went, look. And he looked. And I had the greatest right hook I've ever had. I smacked him right in the face. So my brother goes, Dad, Dad, did you see that? You see what he did? And he goes, next time, put your hands up. Next time, put your hands up. Next time, cover your face. This is sort of what we had going on in my house, that you have a family and you have children, you have siblings that don't always get along. We're going to be in Genesis 37 talking about Joseph's life, about Jacob's history. So if you go to Genesis 37, we're going to be talking about that. But I also want to play a little clip for you. Just listen to this clip, thinking about a perfect family. Night, Mom. Night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mom. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Dad. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, Fanboy. Good night, Kim Bob. Good night, Kim Bob. Good night, Kim Bob. I don't know if everyone remembers the Waltons. I know my mother-in-law does. She loves that show. But I remember growing up with it as well and just thinking what a great family. And you hear that at the end, and they just love each other. Good night, good night, good night, good night. I mean, in, in my family, it wasn't exactly that. I mean, I remember um, the first time I brought Linda over to my home, and my brother came running down the stairs, and he said, who's wearing my underwear? That was like one of the first times I brought her over. And I, I wasn't going to say it was me, but like we, we stole each other, stuff from each other and everything. So I'm just saying our families are what our families are, and they're not perfect. But having faith in Jesus Christ and him being our Lord and our Master and our Savior, when we're in a family that is dysfunctional, that is not perfect and never will be, we can seek the Lord for help. And that's exactly what I'm going to say this morning. If you don't get anything else out of it, just thinking about your lot in life, thinking about where you are, where God has placed you, where God has placed you, where God has put you, and there will never, ever, ever be a perfect family. There will never be a perfect spouse. There will never be a perfect job. There will never be anything that you seek in your life that will ever come out perfect except your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. He's perfect alone, and that is it. And that's why we need to go to him and seek him. And I'm preaching to myself here. Uh, this morning we had this conversation, and I just loved uh, Ralph Diaz. We're going around and we're talking about uh, the Lord, and he said this about about the Lord, he said, God is in control, period. God is in control, period. And I was, I was like, Ralph, you just preached my whole sermon. If you don't get anything else about what we're talking about this morning, is that God is in control, period. But 
do I understand that and do I know that? Do I live that out? Listen to a couple of verses here. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will advise you with my eye upon you. You know the Lord's eye is upon us? That he is following you through, trust me, you will suffer. You will have pain. You have emotional pain, physical pain, until one day you breathe your last. But faith in Jesus Christ means that you will be able to go to heaven, be with your Lord, and have no tears, have no pain, have no suffering, and get to praise and glorify him forever. Romans 8, and we know that God causes all things, some things, little things, one thing, a thing on Thursday, a thing on Friday. No, all things. And those all things are not all good. Those all things are not all good. Some of them could be bad. Some of them can be horrible. But God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Suffering as a test of character is what happens here with Joseph and his brothers. We're going to go through the story about Joseph and his brothers. And trust me, it's horrendous. This is not just some made-up thing. This actually happened that the brothers want to kill him. They want to murder him. And this is not made up. This is true. And remember, when we go through this, Joseph did nothing wrong. Not a perfect man, not a superman, but he didn't do anything wrong to have this suffering come upon him. So as we go through it. Also, the Bible commentary that I was going through, it basically says that he was preserved by his faith through suffering. Another commentator said that Joseph shows us the triumph of faith. That you can be triumphant in your faith, in Christ, in Jesus, as you walk through this life. So let's just look at some of the background of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says, by faith, and this is from Hebrews, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he left, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land of the promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect is the builder, is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received liability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she was considered, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, even from one man and one who was as good as dead, at that, there was born descendants who were just as the stars of heaven in number and as innumerable of the grains of sand along the seashore. The reason why I'm giving you a little bit of a background here, because as we get into the story of Joseph, you're going to want to know where he came from. And as you look at the story here, this really kind of turned me upside down in my heart and my soul and my mind. Just to know that God loved me so much to put me in a loving family with with the family that I had. And to know that, that God worked through the good and the bad there. Just look at Jacob's life. He tried to steal the family inheritance from his older brother. He had run for his life because now Esau wanted to kill him. He ran 200 miles and did not see his father for 20 years. You think this is it? No, it keeps going. It keeps going. Jacob lived and worked for his uncle who cheated him. He married his two cousins and had two other wives. He had 12 sons 
one daughter, his family was ruled by competition and conflict. This is the, the life that Joseph is coming from. When we get to Joseph, he's 17 years old, but this is his family history and his background. I think about, I think about my, my family. I don't know if my mom hears the stories I tell. I don't know if she'd be happy about them or not, but... Um, so we, we would get report cards, but I'm old enough to have a report card that actually had carbon copy. So my teacher would give you your report card, and my brothers and I would run to the woods, and then we'd have the carbon copy, and then you can actually change a D into a B. Did you know that? You can actually change the D into a B. So I, you know, of course, my dad um, would uh, be in his chair, and my dad, one of the hardest working people you'd ever met in your life, worked three jobs, had five boys, and, and, but this was what we did. We came with a report card, and you either got a thumbs up or you got a poke in the chest, whatever one happened with your report card. So I basically gave him my report card, and he looked at it, and he never knew. And maybe he did, and maybe he was just tired. But, but these are the things that we did in our family, and I could probably stand up for days telling you all the stuff we did. But those kind of things in a family, um, I was lying and I was cheating. I could laugh about it now. But that was kind of like where the heart was. And the Lord really convicted me of those things. But just think about that in the family, how the Lord works through that, those things. The first point we're going to look at here is a father's love. That if we don't get anything else out of this, let's not look at Joseph as he's some great person here. Joseph was a man of amazing faith. But that faith comes from the Lord. And that wasn't of Joseph. This is God working through Joseph's life. Not Joseph doing anything miraculous, but God is working through Joseph. So let's look at, at uh, Genesis 37. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had lived as a stranger. In the land of Canaan, there are, these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. While he was still a youth, along with the sons of Billah and the sons of Ziphlah, he, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back, listen, Joseph brought back a bad report about his, uh, Joseph brought back a bad report about them to his father. Now Israel loved, Israel loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a multicolored tunic and his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all the other, all the other brothers. And so they hated him. And so they hated him and could not speak a friendly word to him or a kindly word. Forgive me, I'm, I'm messing up those terms there, but uh, they hated him. And, and when they spoke to him, if they spoke to him, it was probably curse words. It, they, they weren't speaking him to him in kind words here. Joseph is 17 years old. This family is a hardworking family. They are shepherds. They are out in the field. They are working, they are sweating, they are working from morning till night. Joseph is 17, is already seen as somebody who could be in charge, somebody who could be a supervisor. But think of this, you're a brother, you're older than your younger brother, you have a family, you're out working, you're trying to take care. And here comes this young kid who's 17, and he's the one that's going to be in charge, the one who's supervising. He goes back to his father and gives a bad report. It doesn't say what the report was. It doesn't say why, but I will tell you this. Most likely, Joseph was not trying 
to do anything bad. He was actually living out his life of who he was in the Lord, what God had gifted him with, to be a servant, to be honoring, to have character, to love his father, and to want to do the right thing. So he goes to his father and gives him the bad report. No one likes a tattletale. Nobody. My brothers and I used to fight, as I told you, and we'd be upstairs. I remember we lived in Levittown. My parents had two floors. We'd be upstairs, and we'd be like knocking each other out, and then one of us would hurt one of each other, and we'd go, Mom! But then we'd look at each other and realize, Mom's coming up here with the spoon if we're in trouble. Mom's coming up here. So she'd go, What? And we'd go, We love you. I remember this. I remember doing stuff like that. Nobody likes a tattletale. But Joseph was doing it not because of that. He was showing who he was. And then Scripture blatantly tells us that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other brothers. I mean, it says it right there. Jacob loves Joseph more than the other brothers. And there may have been reasons here. We know the brothers weren't great. We know the brothers did bad things. We know the brothers weren't doing what, what they were supposed to be doing. We know that Joseph was born to Jacob in his old age. That's one thing. Born to Rachel, who he loved. So all these things come into play here. And then, not only does he love Joseph, not only does he love him, but he puts on Joseph the symbol of his love so the whole world can see. And as you can see, this is going to make things worse. So he makes him, he makes Joseph a multicolored tunic. It just means it's a robe. It's super long, and the sleeves are long. And it probably was very expensive. And the, one of the things that it represents is that Joseph is being set up here to inherit everything. He's going to be the one that will be in charge of the family fortune. That does not make the brothers any happier than what's going on. Not only that, here's Joseph. He's walking around with this symbol on him. Hello, everybody. I'm here. Just think about what the brothers think every time they see him. In verses 4, 5, 8, 11, 18, and 19, it shows, it says they hated him. They were jealous of him. They hated him. This is an overt favoritism. Not a smart thing to do. But we'll see as we move here, Jacob's choice is also God's choice. He may not be doing it in the right way. These are not the best thing to keep families together or their family together. But it does show, it does show that Joseph was being picked here. God's love. I just want to share a couple of things about you. If we don't think of anything else, again, I don't want to like lift Joseph up here. I want to make sure we're looking at God. We're looking about who God is and what he is doing in our lives, and he is a God of love. It says in Romans 8, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justified. Who is the, one, who is the one who condemns? Now listen, Christ Jesus is he who died, but rather was raised, 
who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Let's look at what Jesus has done for us, the sacrifice on the cross. And Steve had said in his prayer to focus on what God has done for us. And this family is being used, and we'll see as they move ahead, that even in the line of Christ, they're going to Egypt. They're going to Egypt. And they're going to be there for 400 years, and they're going to suffer. If they don't do that, if God doesn't move this story the way he's moving it, none of the history that we have happens. Let these verses seek deep, deep, deep into your soul. When you know God loves you like this, you can live your life trusting him no matter what your lot is. You could, you could live your life no matter what your lot is. Again, I'll repeat it again. There's no perfect parent, no perfect spouse, no perfect child, no perfect school. We need to stop striving for the things that just are going to fade away and die. And there'll be no more. The only thing we really should be searching for and seeking is to glorify and honor the Lord in the life that he's given us. Stop searching and come to the perfect God, Jesus Christ, who loves you beyond what you can imagine. Psalm 124 says this. When I was reading, I did that this morning when we were in um, Sunday school. And in Psalm 124, it says about four times it mentions the Lord's name. And Tim Keller says that that specific word that's being used there means that the Lord's love is locked on you. The Lord's love is locked on each one of us. It was locked on Jacob and on Joseph, and it was even locked on the brothers, although the brothers couldn't get out of their own way. And yet, if you see the end of the story, which we can't get in today, you'll see the amazing forgiveness that is granted them from, from God through Joseph. Listen to this hymn. O wondrous love to bleed and to die, to bear the cross and shame that guilty sinners such as I might plead the gracious name. I shared this this morning in Sunday school. I can do this. God has allowed me for some strange reason to stand here and babble to you. And I love it. I am not that great out in the world. I'm not. I, I, I want to be that type of person to say to people that Jesus has died for you. He loves you. He rose again on the third day for you. I could do that here. You're all looking at me. I love you all. And I get out into the world, it's a different story, and I pray that God will strengthen me and help me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. It's all about the gospel. The second point is, first one is a father's love, but then think about a father's inheritance. We have two, two dreams here. Joseph had a dream in verse 5. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to my dream, which I had. And I honestly believe that Joseph wasn't being a jerk here. He, he wasn't. He was basically, he wanted to be close with his brothers. He wanted to love his brothers. He wanted to be close with his brothers. He was excited about this dream. He believed it was from God. He, he basically wanted them to be a part of it. But that's not going to happen with the way his family was. And he said, please listen to this. For behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and behold, my sheaves stood up. 
and also remained standing. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to mine. You don't have to go very far to understand. This is not going to go over well. Joseph is saying, I'm going to rule you. I am over you. And then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then it just, he doesn't, Joseph doesn't get it. Because he goes back and he tells them the next dream that's even worse for them. And then he had another dream and informed his brothers and said, Behold, I have yet another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He also told it to his father as well as his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've had? Am I and your mother? Are we and your brothers, are we actually going to come down and bow before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him. And his father kept the matter in mind. Jacob may have been upset and he rebuked Joseph, but he understood God. And he understood that there is something to what's happening here. Joseph had these two dreams and it confirms not only Jacob's selection of Joseph, but more importantly of God's selection of Joseph. This was a message from God. He gave Joseph a gift to be able to interpret dreams, and we'll see that later. But this is from God. And it says in Genesis 15, think of some the background again of, of Jacob and his family. It says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, terror and a great darkness fell upon him. And then God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. Abraham had this dream about the future and what was going to happen, even what's going to happen after what the brothers do to Joseph here. And then Jacob has a dream. And then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he happened upon the particular place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and made it for support for his head and laid down in that place. And he had a dream. This is Jacob. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And they behold, the Lord was standing above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. This is a, so this is not new. And Jacob was thinking about these things. These two dreams that Joseph had was God predicting that Joseph would rule over his family. The first dream was agricultural. You see the sheaves there. They're rising up. At least Joseph is rising up. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, why are you, start, why are you staring at one another? This comes from Genesis 42. This is beyond the story. But if you understand what the dreams mean, this is telling us later on in Genesis that when there's a famine in the land, it says, now Jacob saw that there was, there was grain in Egypt. 
This is when Joseph is already there. And it said, Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? Then he said, look, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go there and buy some for us at that place so that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. The second dream that Jacob had, the sun, the moon, the stars, is celestial. And it's basically setting up Joseph over the whole family. It is completely understandable, though, here that the brothers are going to be upset. Now, the brothers are jealous. I also think about something else that happens not just in my family, but at work. Have you ever taken a personality test before? Don't you love those? It tells you your personality. And I had to take one the other day at work. So it tells you whether you're demanding, whether you're outgoing, whether you're supportive. And I forget the other one. Uh, results orientated, outgoing, accurate, supportive. Can I be completely honest with you? Mine came up as being supportive. I don't want to be supportive. I want to be outgoing. I, and I thought of that. I was like, I don't want to be who I am. And, and I actually took the test, and as I took the test, I, it gives you the option to hit neutral. And I'm really hard, I really have a hard time taking mul multiple choice tests. So I was like, um, neutral, I don't know, neutral. So I'm figuring I'm going to get an other result than what I've always gotten my whole life when I take these things. I got the same result, even though I didn't answer half the question. Have you ever been that way in your life? Have you ever looked at somebody and be like, if I could just be like that person, if I could just be a little more like them, if I could just have a little more of what they have, if I could just do what they do, my life would be so much better. But that's not how it works. But the brothers were not understanding this. This is James 4. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again, the Bible says. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. And you want what isn't yours and you will risk violence to get it at your hands on it. Proverbs 27.4, wrath is fierce and anger is a flood. But who can stand before jealousy? Now, I apologize for all this. I haven't really read a lot, but this is long, and I'm going to try not to make it long. But in doing devotions, and it, it's interesting. I don't know if you, did, if you speak before people and, you, and, you pre and you're getting together a message. God always brings things to you. So everything I did for the last two, three weeks kept coming up the same providential care, kept coming up about Joseph, kept, and I'm not even kidding. So these are the devo this devotion and Tim Keller's devotion, I wasn't looking for them. They just kept coming uh, to me, which is great. But I just wanted to share this one thing about, it says, how to overcome jealousy. This is from Alistair Begg. It says, jealousy flourishes when others receive more or achieve better than we do. It can penetrate our minds, and even as we observe the lives of people we don't know well, simply because we perceive them to have some form of advantage unavailable to us when someone else experiences happiness because of his success or good reputation jealousy may manifest as a kind of sadness for ourselves that excludes any gladness for the other 
Consider the parable of the prodigal son. When the elder brother watched his father celebrate the homecoming of his delinquent younger brother, he refused to cheer along. Why? Because even though he had never lost good standing with his father, he resented the joyous forgiveness and recognition given to another. Rare is a man or a woman who does not struggle with jealousy for one reason or another, at one time or another. So what is the cure for it? With the Holy Spirit's help, it is to name jealousy for the sin that it is and to ask him for help to help us daily to root it out, purposely and ruthlessly. And again, with the Spirit's help, we can consider all that we have in Christ. For as we think about the spiritual blessings that are, that are through him, jealousy withers and contentment grows in its place. Do not let envy grow in your heart today. And if, and if, and where it does, root it out. It's so important to root out jealousy in our lives. And the brothers here, we see this so close here, so evident here that the brothers are jealous. And, you know, too bad they couldn't have said, I don't like Joseph, I don't like the lot I'm in, I don't like what's happening, but Lord, God, if you're there, help me to deal with this. And yet they didn't do that. And we think about the, the, um, the inheritance here, the inheritance that we have from God. You know, it's not sad, it's not random, it's an amazing grace-filled gift that God gives us. And I was just looking for some inheritance stories as we were going, as I was going through this, and I found one that I really couldn't believe. But there was a man, had a very sad life, he was extremely wealthy, beyond belief, and he drank himself to death, and upon his death, they found his will. And what he did in his will was he took a phone book, and he randomly took his finger and he picked out 70 people who he never met, would never meet, and he gave his whole fortune to them. And when they called him, they said, hi, this is you know, the attorney. I just want to let you know you inherited a large mansion, and uh, people couldn't believe it. They, they hung up, and they just thought this is, this is a lie. This man took what his inheritance was and just kind of spread it out randomly in such a sad life. Our inheritance in Christ is not sad. Our inheritance in Christ is something that we need not take for granted, and we need to live in it every single day. Listen to this hymn. I do believe, I will believe, that Jesus died for me. That on the cross, he shed his blood from sin to set me free. I, do, I may be doing a poor job of it, but I want to keep letting you know our inheritance is in Christ. There's nothing here. There's no money there's no person, there's no thing, nothing that can compare with our inheritance in Jesus Christ, nothing. We have this inheritance. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace. This is our inheritance in Christ. Nothing else compares. The last thing, the last point, a father's providential care.
Now, just in the, in the um, concern for time, I'm not going to read it all to you. And what I would like you to do, though, is when you go home and when you get a chance, read Genesis 37. And, and read that whole chapter. But read the last part, because I'm going to tell it to you, and, and I'm going to leave some stuff out. I may even, hopefully I don't say anything wrong. But Genesis 37. The last part of it, verses 12 all the way to the end, it tells the story of Jacob going to Joseph. And after everything that's happened, after the bad report, after the dreams, after the multicolored coat, after the robe, after everything, Jacob still says to Joseph, believe it or not, I want you to go check on your brothers. I, I, I had to read that a couple of times. I can't believe that Jacob would be like, this is a good idea. It is not a good idea. So he says to Joseph, Joseph, I want you to go to your brothers. And this is what Joseph says, I'm ready. No way am I saying to my dad, I'm going to go to my 12 brothers who hate me and curse at me and want to kill me, then I'm going to go check on them. But Joseph says, I am ready. It shows his character. And he travels 50 miles on feet. 50 miles. And when he gets to the place his brothers are supposed to be, they're not there. So now he has to go another 15 miles to get to his brothers, and they see him coming, and they say, and he's wearing the robe, and they say, there he is, that dreamer. Let us kill him. They want to murder their brother. Don't make any mistake about reading the story as, oh, they're, you know, maybe that's not, oh, they're, they're fun-loving. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him and get him out of their lives. And as he comes closer, you could see the brothers aren't even on the same page. You have Reuben, you, you have Judah, and, and they're trying to stop the brothers from actually killing him. So as they end up, they throw him in a pit. He gets there, and they take the robe off. They rip the robe off, and they throw him in a pit. Very narrow, no water in it, straight down. No doubt he probably broke some bones or something going down. You know the story says, please read it, because you won't believe the brothers sit down to have a meal. The brothers have their their brother in the pit, and they sit down and they say, let's eat. These are the most horrendous people in the world. And they're sitting there, and they're eating, and they're going back and forth about killing him or not killing him, and they decide not to kill him. But then there comes this caravan, and the caravan comes, and they say, you know what? Let's not kill him, but let's sell him. Let's sell him as a slave. And as the story goes on, they sell him to the Ishmaelites for, I think it's 20 silver coins, the price of a slave. And they sell him, and they let him go. And then Reuben, as I was telling you, the two of the brothers, Reuben comes back, and he didn't know they were going to do that, and he was upset. You could just see the brothers have no idea what's going on. They take Joseph, and they sell him as a slave. If you read this story, you understand God kept the brothers from murdering him. It was God's providential care. And as I went through this, I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand life. I don't understand suffering. I don't understand any of it. But I have to say, God, I don't understand, but I have to trust you. I have to take my anger. I have to take my 
thoughts that go against God and against him and say, God, I trust you. No matter what you're doing in my life, you're doing it for my good and for your glory. A.W. Tozer said this, it is doubtful. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God actually rises up storms and conflicts and relationships at times in order to accomplish that deeper work in character. We cannot love our enemies on our own strength. This is graduate level grace. If God is putting you through something, it's for a reason. And it's not to hurt you. It's not to harm you. It's to show you his fatherly love. It's to show you the inheritance that you have in Christ. And it's to show you his providential care in your life. It says, are you willing to enter this school? Are you willing to enter the school of this graduate level grace in suffering? Are you willing to take the test? If you pass, you will expect to be elevated to a new level in the kingdom. For he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom. But you must pass the test first. And trust me, you have all the answers in Christ. You have all the answers in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have the answers yourself. You only have to humble yourself before the Lord and say, help, help, help. I have this in my own life, and it may seem frivolous or silly to you, but I've struggled in my life about vocation and what I do for a living. And I got fired one time. It was devastating to me, but it, God showed me who my God was. My God was my job. I wasn't very good at it, but obviously at the time, but it was my God. It was what I held on to, and God ripped it from me for a reason and for a purpose. And then he slowly brought me back and didn't let me do anything else but what I was doing before. And I wound up in another same industry, same job, sitting in a parking lot, praying to the Lord, saying, I don't want to go in. I don't want to go in there. I remember it like it was yesterday. I went in because God was saying, Mark, this is what I want for you. I went in a couple of days later, Pastor Musser calls me and says, Mark, can we have lunch? I said, sure, we can have lunch. And he said, I really see the Lord working in your life. I'd like you to consider working in leadership in the church. This is how God works. That was his plan for me. But if I would have sat in that car and said, I'm not going in, put the car in reverse and drove away and did something else. That's what a lot of people do. And I'm not like lifting myself up here and saying, wow, look at me, I did the right thing. Not at all. I'm saying God is the one who did that in my life. Joseph's not a superhero here at all. But he was the one who was trusting the Lord in his faith. It is easy to live a life of anger at God for the lot that he has put us in, but the lot you're in, the lot you're in is from God, and it's for a reason. And I, and I, I suffer here when I'm, I'm preaching because I'm like, I'm not saying the right words. I don't know if I'm saying the right words to make you understand that God loves you so much, and where you are in life is from him. And, and if we, me, 
would just say, Lord, thank you for where, where I am. Let, let me be a light for you where I am. A couple of things as we end. Think of Jesus' life and think of Joseph's life. They both were shepherds of their father's sheep. Their father loved them dearly. They were both hated by their brothers. Sent by the father to the brothers, others plotted against them. B both of them had robes taken from them. They were both taken to Egypt. They were both sold for the price of a slave. This is just chapter 37. There were pages and pages of these comparisons between Joseph and Jesus. And I want to focus on Jesus. We want to focus on our Lord. We want to focus on what he was doing. Again, Romans 8. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Could you do me a favor? Just turn to, turn to Psalm 22. As we understand that God has providential care for us, God the Father was watching over God the Son, even though what Jesus went through. And I don't think I fully understand what our Lord went through. But if you look at Psalm 22 here, it gives you a glimpse, a glimpse into what Jesus Christ went through for you and went through for me. In verse 14, it says, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a, pot, a pot's herd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Let me read that again. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People steer, stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Take those verses and meditate on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you and what he has done for me. Jesus echoes this at the cross. In Matthew, it says, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabatachi, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's taking this from Psalm 22. Verse 31 of, of this psalm says, he has done it. He has done it. He has accomplished everything that you need for the salvation of your soul. And Jesus cries on the cross, it is finished. Listen, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as I go through the, the story of Joseph, you can't help but make sure that we're focusing on who we need to focus on, and that is our Lord. It's not on Joseph. But if you look at the end of the story here, and I'm done here, if you look at the end of the story in Genesis, Joseph is speaking to his brothers. 
down the line, when this is all done, Joseph says to his brothers after Jacob passes away, the brothers are so concerned that now Joseph's going to take revenge on them. Now he's got them. Their father is gone. He's going to throw them in a pit. And this is what Joseph says. And as I read it, think of the love and the grace and the mercy that God has on your soul. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Think of the forgiveness for your soul through Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And I am praying that God will allow me, through the Holy Spirit, to have the boldness and the confidence to share this with other people. Not just the ones who I know and I see on Sunday, but the ones who don't know him and need him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the message this morning about your love, about your inheritance, about your providential care. And Lord, may we, as your children, share this message to the ones that we love and that you love. In Jesus' name, amen.